Good morning. Please turn with me into your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. Hebrews 12, 18-29 For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to the blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the meditator, of the new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they do not escape, refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he was promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Good morning. Please leave your Bibles open to Hebrews 12. That's where we'll be this morning. We ask for God's blessing on the reading, the preaching of His Word. Children and teens ask hundreds of questions as they try to sort out the world around them. Questions like, why are goldfish gold? And where do bugs go in the winter? And why is Grandma's hair gray? And what do you mean Grandpa won't wake up? As they try to sort out the world around them, we give them answers. We try to give them answers. But how often do we end up saying something like, well, when you grow up, you'll understand. When you have children of your own, you'll understand. Someday this will make sense. And that may be true enough. Because there are certainly things in life that, that we have to live a while. We have to gain some experience in life to really begin to understand And yet we do meet people who become adults and really don't understand life. They really don't understand the difficulties or the hardships or the challenges that can come. For example, they don't understand that life isn't fair. Or that dreams don't always come true. That people don't always get along. They don't learn that good people do suffer. And bad people do prosper. And those are questions that can be painful and difficult and faith-challenging. I'm certain the Christians who received the letter that we call Hebrews found it terribly difficult to understand the persecution and the suffering that they were experiencing. When we consider that they were about to experience a second round of persecution, I think we can appreciate why they would be thinking of giving it up, of walking away from the faith, 
I think we can understand why they would might consider not being Christians anymore. There's nothing in Hebrews to describe a worship service, but I help, can't help but think that their prayers and their worship service were filled with tears as they cried out to God for help. And I'm also sure that their prayers were filled with a question, why? We're faithful, we love you, why are we being persecuted? Why are we having to suffer? A writer responds to their whys, especially in the second part of the letter. And his first answer to them is by saying, you're not alone. This isn't a new experience. The faithful people of God have at many points and times experienced suffering. Hebrews 11, 32-39. Second, Jesus himself suffered. He didn't have an easy way. He had a hard way. He suffered and came through it to sit in glory, and we have a great cloud of witnesses, other Christians who have suffered and died and, and been faithful to the very end. Hebrews 12, 1-3. When we experience suffering, we should appreciate that God loves us and that He is disciplining us as His children. Chapter 12, verse 4 through 8. And fourth, God is using these hard times to help us become the people that He wants us to be. He is active in our lives even in those times, Hebrews 12, 9 through 11. And so all of this being the case, our writer encourages and exhorts them to get on with their Christian lives to remain faithful and to do the things they know that they are supposed to be doing. Put one foot in front of the other. Keep on living faithfully. And as he brings the letter to a close, he comes to five instructions for faithful living. Five instructions for keeping on, for remaining faithful. Listen to Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, lift up drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with all men and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fail to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and by it the many become defiled. That no one be immoral or irreligious like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The writer's first instruction in verse 12 through 13 is get with the program. Stand firm. Fly straight. Even living the Christian life, we run into the proverbial brick wall. We can get knocked down. We can fall flat on our face. And when that happens to us as Christians, we really have two choices. One choice is that we can lay there and enjoy the misery. 
We can lay there and just endure it. Or we can get up. And with God's help, we can get moving. Lie there or get moving. Yes, these Christians who received this letter are going through a rough time. Imagine having to stand in your front yard and watch your neighbors drag your possessions out of the house. And the police are standing by watching it and letting it happen. Some of those Christians had to do that. Or imagine walking down a public street and suddenly being surrounded by a group of people and being beaten, and again the police stand and applaud. That was happening to some of them. Being called names and taking other kinds of verbal abuse is a hard way to live. The writer of Hebrews wants them to understand that while that may be true, God is already making something good out of this for them. And they need to remain faithful. They need to continue living the Christian life. So he says, shake it off. Lift up those drooping hands. Straighten those weak knees. Stop dragging and moping around. Walk on the street, not in the ditch. Walk on the pavement where the surface is even so that your lame legs will not be out of joint so they'll stop hurting. That's his first instruction. Does that sound like something God might say to you? I think he'd say it to me. Would he say it to our elders? To our deacons and ministry team leaders? Would he say it to each and every brother and sister in our congregation? Yeah, I think he would. I think God would say that to every member of the Annapolis Church of Christ. When we look at our life together, we don't find that everything is just how it should be. We look at our personal lives, and we don't find that everything is just as it should be. But to think that we can somehow make everything perfect is is really kind of an illusion. Some things are admittedly hard to bear, but we are God's children. And we are God's church. So it's not time for us to be down. It's not time for us to be defeated. It's not time for us to feel sorry for ourselves. It's not time to, to quit or to give up or to wash our hands of the whole thing. The writer of Hebrews says, you lift up those drooping hands and you strengthen those knees and get back on that straight road that leads to home. Then there's a second instruction in verse 14. Make an all-out attack on peace and holiness. What is your secret for getting along with others? How do you do it? Is your personal rule get go along to get along? Do you avoid conflict at all costs? Keep your head down, your mouth shut, stay out of sight? Are those the way Christians are supposed to find peace with each other? No. Peace among brothers and sisters is something 
worth going after, worth pursuing, worth striving for, worth working for, worth seeking. The writer of Hebrews is not saying to these Christians, find a way to get along to merely tolerate each other. He is saying, find a way to build really great relationships among you. Find a way to develop really great relationships between with you and with your brothers and sisters. Find a way to love each other in practical ways. Be a channel of God's grace to your brother and to your sister. Work hard at those things that will build and, and fortify and strengthen each other. Pursue those things that will make the minds and hearts of brothers and sisters one in Christ. We need each other. Not one of us is going to make it to heaven on our own. We need our brothers and sisters to get there. We need the love and the grace that we receive from each other. And more than that, to borrow the words of Bill Madden, one of our elders, we need to be all in. Every day. And while we pursue peace, we also need to pursue holiness, the writer of Hebrews says. Pure in heart, O God, we sing. More holiness give me, we sing. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. We too are light. And we are to walk in the light with him. But why is holiness so important? Why is it such a priority? It's been a long, long time since I saw my dad. Since I sat down and had an opportunity to talk to him. He died in December of 2002. And I have days that I'm missing like it was yesterday. How long has it been since you saw your dad? Since you saw your mom? Well, however long it might be, not one of us has ever seen our Heavenly Father. Never laid eyes on Him. We pray to Him. We worship Him. We give Him thanks, but we haven't seen Him. But you see, we're on our way home now to see Him. We're a day closer to seeing Him face to face. And He's waiting for us just on the other side. Beside the eastern gate, as we used to sing. And if we want to sing, the writer of Hebrews says, we have to be holy. We have to be holy as He is holy. Our hearts have to be holy. The words that come out of our mouth have to be holy. The things that we do need to be expressions of holiness. We need to pray for it. We need to work on on removing those things from our lives that keep us from being holy. So when a great day comes and we finally have an opportunity to see our Father face to face, we can see Him. That's the wonder of heaven. Not gold streets and pearly gates. But to at long last be able to see our Father face to face. So work for peace. Building up your relationships in the body and strive for holiness.
But there's a third instruction, verse 15. And I call this one, get rid of the dandelions in the crabgrass. I had a yard in Battle Creek that was all dandelions and crabgrass. Still had to be cut, but that's all it was. This instruction isn't addressed to individuals. It's addressed to the group, to the congregation, to the church. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that every member of the church has a responsibility for every other member of the church. A responsibility for each other's spiritual welfare. We have a God-given responsibility to guard each other, to have each other's back, to care for each other, to protect each other. The church or churches who first receive this letter need to give attention to that because some of their members are already forsaking the assembly. Do we have some that are forsaking the assembly? Have they heard from you? Indifference is beginning to settle in. And apostasy falling away isn't far away for some of those first century Christians. So the writer says, help each other. Make sure that nobody fails to obtain God's grace. Which simply means help each other fight against sin. Help each other resist spiritual laziness. Help each other overcome indifference and let somebody else do it. I think we failed to announce this morning that brother and sister, somebody have, have left the church. They're not going to be here anymore. And you, and you know who I'm talking about. An elder gets up and says, we need a teacher. And somebody says, somebody will teach that class. We need somebody to visit Eloise. Well, somebody will do that. Somebody's not here anymore. It's just us. These are our things to do, not somebody's. Grab a brother or sister whose heart is growing bitter and is near to being defiled. Don't hide behind the idea that, that what is going on in the life of a brother or sister is none of your business because that's not true. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 tells those brethren we are to look not just to our own interests but also to the interests of others. We are our brother's keepers. We are our sister's keepers. Remove everything that will keep us from being united as one in Christ. Verse 16, a fourth instruction, don't be immoral. Look at chapter 13 and verse 4 and look at what the writer of Hebrews says there. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the immoral and the adulterous. Perhaps that suggests that some of those Christians are not being faithful to their spouses. Perhaps in some way, like the brethren in Corinth, some of them are not being sexually pure. And the writer says in strong words, don't be immoral. Those who are immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6-9 and a whole host of other places. And this is one we don't talk about very much, is it? We don't like to think about Christians having trouble with this issue. 
what Christians do. Temptations to sexual sin are there all around us every day. We live in a culture that is drunk with it. Every time we turn on the television, every time we turn on the computer, every time we turn on the iPad, it is there. It is in our face. And we need to be there for each other, to strengthen each other, and to encourage each other to resist it. We need to teach our young people about God's plan for men and women and how our sexuality is His gift and it's to be enjoyed within the context of marriage. We need to help each other resist those temptations. And then there's a fifth instruction. Don't be a pagan. Don't be irreligious. Look at verse 16 and 17. A writer takes up the example of Esau, who he says was immoral and irreligious. We all know about Esau. He came in one day and he was so hungry that he sold his birthright for a plate of food. I always imagined that was a can of Denty Moore. That's what he gave it up to get. To get that plate of food, though, he sold much more than his daddy's sheep and servants. You see, Esau was a grandson of Abraham. Think about that. He was a grandson of Abraham. Don't you just imagine there were times that Abraham held him on his lap and, and talked to him and played with him? Or, or maybe when he was older that he played at his grandfather's feet? He had a tremendous spiritual inheritance. He came from God's special family. But he threw it all away. His hunger made him act like somebody who did not know God. Somebody who was just a pagan and not a descendant of Abraham. It's easy. And I'm speaking from my own experience. I'm not just talking to you, but my own experience, it is easy to let our circumstances dull our spiritual senses. It is easy to get caught up in the rush of life and every demand that comes down the road to the point that that's all we can do. And the spiritual gets set aside. We can work so long and so late that, well, we just don't have time for Wednesday night Bible study or Sunday night worship. And no, that isn't all right. I don't mean to be unkind, but that isn't all right. Not in God's eyes. We get so tired from running the kids and doing errands that we just don't have strength for much else. And no, that's not right either. We forget to pray. We forget to study God's Word. We don't feel up to it. We're tired. We don't spend time with other Christians unless it's our little circle. We become worldly. We adopt worldly values. And the end result is that instead of enjoying the riches of God's grace, enjoying a rich spiritual inheritance and life in Christ, we become spiritually empty. 
Now, I don't believe for a minute that one of those Christians or one of those congregations or a Christian here or this congregation would ever choose to do that. I just don't believe that's how that happened. I, I would imagine it didn't really happen to Esau. I don't imagine he sat down on a rock someplace and decided that was what he was going to do. It sneaks up on us. It gets us by the heart when we're not looking. We drift into it. And that's what makes being irreligious so easy. That what is what makes it so easy to fall away. Please, don't take your birthright in Christ for granted. We have a marvelous birthright in Christ. We have a wonderful inheritance in Christ Jesus. Don't take it for granted. We have salvation and a home in heaven. Don't take them for granted. Do those things that your Father calls you to do so that those things will be yours. So that you can enjoy them. Attend to your birthright. Care for it and nurture it and live it out. Every day to the fullest. Now why are these five instructions so urgent? Why does the writer give his concluding exhortation to these kinds of things? Well, there are two reasons. You heard the first one in our reading in verse 18 through 25, if you want to look at it again. What makes these so important is that God has blessed us in amazing and incredible ways. The people of Israel were terrified of God when they met him at Mount Sinai after the Exodus. It was frightening to approach the mountain when he was present, making his presence known. And they pleaded with Moses, you, you go talk to him and you come and talk to us, but, but we don't want to hear his voice again because they were so afraid. And Moses himself was afraid. The scripture says he trembled. But then the writer of Hebrews says, you know, as Christians, we aren't going to Mount Sinai. We're not approaching God at Mount Sinai. We approach Him at Mount Zion, and Mount Zion is a whole different place. We come to Him in the city of the living God. We join the assembly of the firstborn. We stand among countless angels, and we take our place among the children of God. We come to God who forgave us and who justified us. The Jesus who mediated a new covenant for us in his death on the cross. We express our gratitude with the kind of lives that we live. We express our joy for being in his presence. We keep ourselves fit for him. And so it's a wonderful privilege to be able to go to Mount Zion. And that's what we're doing. That's why we're where we are going. And so these instructions are very important because they tell us to how, how to make the journey. How to get there. But then there's a second reason, verse 26 to 29 of our reading. We understand the reality of the kingdom of God. Israel did not obey God's voice. And they were punished. And the writer of Hebrews says, if that happened to them, with Moses and 
the law and the mighty deeds that God did, if it hap- if that happened to them, what is going to happen to people who are Christians and fall away? To people who have had the benefit of, of the cross? God's forgiveness? If they were punished for falling away, what's going to happen to us if we do? Consider what will happen to us if we do not hear God's voice. At Sinai, the very earth shook when God spoke to his people. But God promises that there is another day coming, a day when the whole earth is going to be shaken again. And not only earth, but heaven. And when heaven and earth shake, everything that is insubstantial, everything that will crumble is going to be gone, swept away. And when all of it is shaken away and when all of it is blown away, there is going to be something left. And what is left will be the kingdom of God, God's unshakable kingdom. And because that is how it's going to be, because that is true, the writer of Hebrews says we need to live now as if we were in that kingdom. And we need to worship God with reverence and awe because he's a consuming fire. So be strong. Strive for peace. Strive for holiness. Don't fail to obtain God's grace. Don't be immoral. Don't be irreligious. And when the shaking is done, the kingdom of God will stand forever. And God's faithful people will stand forever. You will stand forever. When God comes to the end of His purposes and plans. The sorrow, the sin, the pain, the suffering, the grief, the frustration, the weariness of life, that we all experience will be gone, taken away, never to be experienced again. That's what we're looking for. That's part of what we're looking forward to. And so the question this morning is simply this. Will you be standing in that unshakable kingdom? When God completes his purpose and the earth and the heavens have been shaken and everything is removed but his precious kingdom, will you be in that kingdom? We hope and pray that you will be. We hope and pray that all of us will be, that that we will live the way God wants us to so that we can be there. Maybe there's a brother or sister here this morning that is struggling with sin or going through some season of suffering and doubt. We love you and we care about you and your Father loves you. And we're going to sing this song from our hearts to yours to encourage you to come and let us know about those things so that we can go to the Father with you, so that we can pray with you and to help you through those things. If you need to answer that invitation this morning, please come while we stand and sing.